Good morning. And Merry Christmas. I waited till this week to say that for you people that get been out of shape about saying that before Thanksgiving. Um, our decorations went up before Thanksgiving, but I did, uh, we did, I did hold on to the Merry Christmas until that. So this is the first Sunday I've said it, so Merry Christmas. If you're new here, uh, we're glad to see you, man. We're so pumped that you're here. Uh, we actually have a gift that we would love to give you today in our lobby. We've got a, a t-shirt um, that says Lindsay Lane East. Um, awesome, awesome, really high quality t-shirt. And uh, we would love to give that to you today, along with some information about our church. If you'll take the card from the back of the seat in front of you, uh, fill it out and drop it by Next Steps on your way out. Um, they'll give you a t-shirt and then some of that info as well. Um, and then if, uh, uh, if, if you've been before, but you've never taken advantage of the free t-shirt, you haven't missed it. Okay, you can still jump on it and get that today. But um, man, we had an awesome uh, Friday night. If you're, if you're not familiar, um, Friday night we had our Christmas house which is where uh, this year we provided uh, some Christmas gifts for about 68 families. And, uh, man, it was such a blessing as those families got to come here, and we got to love them, and I got to share Jesus with them and invite them to come back to church. And we're so thankful for the 70 volunteers that it took uh, to be able to do that event well. And, man, that's just it's awesome. Um, Man, 70 of you gave of your Friday night uh, to come and to be a part of that. And then countless others outside of those 70 uh, that, that, that gave gifts and, uh, and that weren't able to help us with the event. And so, man, just thank you for that. Um, you were the hands and feet of Christ this week, and we're thankful to you for that. And so um, I love Christmas time. And if you're new here, uh, get ready for that because I love it. Um, I love driving around and looking at lights. I love getting together with others to share meals. I love giving and getting gifts. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, it's not just the giving. I enjoy the getting as well. Um, I love talking with my kids about the story of Christmas. I love everything that there is about Christmas. And so one of my favorite things, though, are the songs. And this those old, beautiful Christmas carols, right? Jingle bells. Uh, Frosty the Snowman, uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, just the classics, uh, the classics, uh, those are the ones I love. Patrick refused to play Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I think there's good theology in that song. I don't know why we couldn't play, but anyway, uh, but I love these songs, and honestly, um, for 34 years now, uh, I've been singing these. I've been, in, I've been in church my whole life. That's kind of my story. And so every Christmas, around Christmas time, like I know these songs like the back of my hand. Uh, I hear them on the radio. I hear them at church. I sing them in my home. Uh, Silent night. Oh, come all you faithful. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Right? Like I know these joy to the world, which is actually where we're going to begin this week. And um, I've sung these songs so much over the years that I've, uh, it's easy for songs like that when you're so familiar with them to sing them without even thinking about it, isn't it? It's easy to sing them and sing it Sing the same words, but do it mindlessly or spiritlessly so that you're not even paying attention to the words. And that's not just true of Christmas songs, but of all. And so um, a few weeks ago, I stumbled on a series of articles that um, each article just took one of these old carols and just talked about, like, the depths of the lyrics. And I was blown away. Like, these are songs that I've sung my entire life, but they, like, they had new, they had, had fresh fire in them. And I, got, I, was, I was blown away that these are the songs I've been singing for 34 years, and I'm like, you know, just enjoying the Christmas lights instead of thinking about 
the beauty of the songs. And so I thought, what better way to spend the four Sundays in Easter than to... Rend- or... Hang on a second. So I thought, what better way to spend the four Sundays in December... Uh, than, than to actually take one Christmas carol each week and not study the carol itself, but to study the theology behind the lyrics, the beauty, the truths, the biblical truths behind them. And so um, this morning, we're going to take a look at the first one, and we sang it today, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And so we're going to focus on just a, a, really a couple words in that, um, but really the whole idea behind it. So I'm going to read the main passage of Scripture, which will be Luke 1, 13 through 17. So go on and turn there in your Bible if you, if you brought a copy of God's Word or want to follow along on your phone or tablet or laptop, personal computer, whatever you brought. Um, and then uh, I'll read verses 13 through 17. I'll pray, and then we'll come back and talk about this today. The Word of the Lord says this. But the angel said to him, just so you know him in this case is Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fa- of fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We believe it to be true. And God, today I pray as we study through this, uh, God, talk about some specific things that are going on, some context that um, uh, maybe we're unfamiliar with. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand uh, what it looks like uh, to bring joy to the world in Christ. And Father, I pray uh, that today, as we pray every week, God, that you would teach us to know you today and that you would be with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And so uh, when we talk about the birth of Christ, uh, we talk about Christmas. We always think about the birth of Christ. But there was a birth that happened before Christ that's important to talk about as well. And that's this guy named John. So here God is communicating through one of one of his messengers. Okay, And so just uh, oftentimes when you hear the word angel, we all have in our mind what we think an angel like we think wings, bright light, halo, all of that. Um, when you see the word angel in the Bible, just know that the word is messenger. Like that's the basic word, the, the definition of the word angel is, is a messenger. And so God has sent a messenger to this couple to tell them that they are having a baby. But don't get your hopes up. It's not Jesus yet. This is a relative of Jesus who we find out will be named John. And we call him, now as we read through the text, uh, the later text, we call him John the Baptizer because that's what he did. He was known uh, for the people that he baptized. We'll talk about that here in a second. But if you're a note taker, jot this down. Point number one is this. The first Christmas brought joy. The first Christmas brought joy. Um, the angel of God that's there with Zechariah, he tells, he tells Zechariah that John is going to be special. John's going to be special. Um, and that he will bring joy to him. Now, uh, when you read that, um, this was no doubt an encouraging thing to hear as a dad. That, hey, this son, your, your wife's going to give birth and you're going to find joy in this son. But here's what I need. Here's what I, here's what I found to be true. In my, I've, we have birthed two children in this world. And I had a lot of people that weren't prophets 
tell me the same thing. Like, dude, it's pretty cool to be a dad. You're going to find a lot of joy in that kid. Like, so there's got, it, I don't know if it took an angel <laughs> to tell a dad, hey, it's going to be fun. Like, so there's got to be more going on here, okay? It probably wasn't a shocker that the angel said this. There's a lot of joy in being a dad. So the messenger, but he's conveying more than just a father joy, right? He says, there will be joy and delight for you. This is verse 14. So duh, right? There will be joy and delight for you as the dad. But listen to this. And many will rejoice at his birth. So now we've got to figure out, well, why is that, right? But you need to know this. So the word, and this is even in English. This isn't like some Greek, you know, nerdy thing. Like even in English, right? The word rejoice simply means to find or show joy. Right, so joy is 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 something that's not tangible, right? But then rejoice is to show that thing that's intangible, and so that's what so rejoice means to show or to feel joy. So the angel says, not only will you have joy, daddy, but many will find joy in your son's birth. And so if you and I hear that, and if you don't know the story of what's coming, or if you're the dad in this situation who's hearing it firsthand, if you're Zechariah, you got questions, right? You got questions, just like for my kids. When my teacher says how awesome they are, like, I love having Daniel in class. I love having Elsie Joe in class. Like, I should be able to just take that and go, that's awesome. But I want to know why, right? <laughs> really? Because they're jerks at home. Like, how? <laughs> right, so, like, I want to know, like, what is it about, what is it? But even... So as a dad, like I want to hear that because I want to be able to affirm those things in my kids as well. But there's a lot of reasons. Um, but for Zechariah here, if, if the angel, if the messenger here, the angel just stops, um, I've got a lot of questions. What's going to make him so special? What plans does God have for this son? The next verse, verse 15, begins with a very important word. And y'all know I love to talk about these, what I call connecting words. There's a big, there's a fancier word that you learned in English class. I call them connecting words because these connecting words help us understand the flow of thought. T- they, something is said, verses 14 and above, verse 14. And then verse 15 is about to tell us why verse 14 is true. It's a connecting word. And the word for here is signaling to us that the angel is going to explain why the joy will be there. So many will rejoice at his birth for... He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Let's go ahead and start it off. He'll be great in God's sight. That's a good word for this dad. But the craziest thing to hear would not be that he's great in the sight of the Lord. It's the last part, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. So the, the so here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit is an important figure in the Old Testament. A lot of people will downplay that. A lot of people will act as if the Holy Spirit doesn't come on the scene until much later. But when you read the Old Testament and you read it well, what you're going to see is that God sends His Spirit to indwell several people throughout the Old Testament, to rest upon or to indwell. Moses is told to choose Joshua as his successor, to lead God's people, to possess the land that God had promised. Numbers 27, 18. His resume was this. I don't know it by heart. Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the Spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Like that's, that, was, that, was the, that was the resume. <laughs> He's got a Spirit in him. Good, good, go. Okay. Before Israel was led by kings, which comes a little bit later in their story, there were judges who provided some direction and guidance for the nation. One of these judges was named Othniel. 
And God sent his spirit to rest upon him. Judges 3.10, the spirit of the Lord came on him and he judged Israel. Right? It was, it was the, the spirit of the Lord coming on him that allowed him to be a good judge. God's power even came on Israel's first and not so great king named Saul, 1 Samuel 10.10. 10. The spirit of God came powerfully on him. So Zechariah, I, I, here, I'll be straight with you. I'll straight with the first service. I had to Google those. Okay, I don't know, even I'm telling you, okay, it may shock you, but I don't know, I didn't know by heart every reference to the old, the, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, okay? I didn't. I had to look it up. However, Zechariah, who's the, when he's coming onto the scene as a Jewish man, he's going to know these texts, these Old Testament texts, he's going to know them a lot better than you and I did. Because this was the Word of God to them. So he would have known that God does not give his spirit to humanity without great purpose. So he had to be thinking, what does God have for my son to do? If he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like Zechariah's mind is racing right at this point, what does God have for my son to do? But again, it's going back to what the, the messenger told him. It's not just that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's in his mother's womb. So that would have been the... <clears throat> clarification can i ask a question uh, that that that's that would have been the shocking moment that would have been that would have been the thing for I, the zechariah that would have caught his attention that seems as if john is not going to just be used for a, a short season in his life as so many others of these that were filled with the spirit were no god is not calling john to certain tasks but to a certain lifestyle what was this lifestyle? We actually find out in the next verse. The, the, the messenger doesn't leave us wondering. Um, it was one of a prophet. It was one of a prophet. And so if you're unfamiliar with the term, a prophet was a person who was uniquely called by God to speak into particular situations to particular people. Most often in the Old Testament, those prophets were speaking into the nation of Israel. Their message was uh, was an effort to correct the worship, the per- terrible worship, uh, the, their allegiance to other gods, and their practices that had just gotten really out of whack. Fifteen of the last 16 books of the Old Testament are writings from these prophets. And many others are mentioned throughout the rest of the books in the Old Testament. Here's what you need to know if you're unfamiliar with it. These folks were hated. Like, Hated. And so I asked the first service, and I'll ask y'all, just because it's fun to ask questions and make sure y'all are awake. Why were the prophets so hated and ridiculed? <laughs> they told the truth to a people that didn't want to hear the truth, Miss Vicky. Uh, they told the truth to a people that didn't want to hear it. And so the prophets were not, to hear that your son was going to be a prophet, like, that's not necessarily going to fire you up. Because you've seen the prophets of the old, you've seen that, that their message is oftentimes not accepted. Oftentimes the, the life of a prophet was one of loneliness and rejection. But yet here the angel says that many will rejoice because of the prophet. Many will rejoice because of John. Rejoicing, and, and that should shock us, because rejoicing because of the message of a prophet was not a common occurrence. Okay? That was not the initial response of most people when they heard a prophet speak, was to rejoice. Um, but let's, let's look at verses 16 and 17 again. 
I've already read them once or twice, or we'll read them three more times, I think. Verse 16, And John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So this is, this is good news for a prophet that many of the children will actually turn back to the Lord their God. That's the, this is part of the joy. The message is not just that John will be a prophet. It's that John will actually see success as a prophet. Right? Like that, that should be a shocking thing to you. Okay? That, that not only is John going to be a prophet, but that he is actually going to see success in that. This is kind of rare. Jeremiah, one of the most well-known prophets. If you're familiar with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the most well-known prophets of the Old Testament. Preached for 40 years. Preached for 40 years. And in his writing, all we see are two people who turn to the Lord. Two people. That's a... I can't do the math on that. Two in 40. Well, that's a, there's a fraction, right? Two people, 40 years. That's a, that's a small number. I do know that much about math. Huh? There we go. All right. All right. But that's tough, isn't it? That's tough. I'm hoping, like, we've already seen it in the, in the, the two years I've been here. We've already seen more people repent than that. I've been here two years. And then we're talking about for 40 years, he shows up, gets rejected, ridiculed, made fun of, ignored. And for 40 years, he continues to be faithful. But John, so John, what the messenger, what the angel is saying is John's not going to be like that. He's actually going to see results. We actually see in Luke 3, in Luke 3, uh, Luke begins to talk about John's actual ministry as he grows up. And he shows us that crowds are coming to hear and to be baptized by John. The only time crowds come to a prophet, the prophet runs because they're usually holding rocks. Like uh, to, For the crowds to come to a prophet is usually not a good thing. But we see in Luke one seventeen that they were actually, or not Luke, Luke 3, that they were coming to be baptized, to repent as a sign of their repentance, to be baptized as a sign of their repentance to God. So the, this was a joyful thing that John's ministry is actually going to see fruit. But the most joyous thing about John's ministry was not that he was going to seek success, but it was the overarching purpose. Look at the end, look at the end of verse 17 again. His goal was to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. The angel told John's dad that his main purpose was not to baptize, it was not to preach, but it was to prepare a people for the Lord. Now Zechariah had... No idea how intense that was going to be. Um, he no doubt he he knew that he had heard he had heard of the prophets of old. He knew that the prophets, all of the prophets, their goal was to prepare the people. They would say this: a Messiah is coming. One day, God is going to send His rescuer to His people to the earth, and we need to repent and be ready for when He comes. And every one of them. That's what they were trying to do was get people to repent. And every one of them looked crazy because they preached with such passion that you would have thought it was tomorrow. Repent, the Messiah is coming. And 40 years go by, Jeremiah. And then everybody's watching Jeremiah, that crazy old man who yells at us every Sunday, every week. 
Everybody's watching him get older and older and older, and his message doesn't change. Begin to think, maybe he's just crazy. And every single prophet went through the exact same thing. Until John. John was the one prophet. He was the last prophet who got to declare that the Messiah was coming. All the other prophets had in some ways prepared the way, but John's the only one that got to point. If you read the stories, every one of the prophets, they're all doing this. They don't know where to point. (laughs) They're they're guessing. They, They don't know. He's coming sometime, someday. One day in John's ministry, Jesus is walking down the road, and John's the only prophet through the whole Bible that gets to point and say, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When the angel is telling John's daddy that he will bring joy to many, this is what he's talking about. The rejoicing that would happen through John's ministry had little to do with the message and more to do with the timing of his message. The Savior not is coming, Not will come one day, but the Savior is come, has come. Rejoice. This is the message of joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. What can be more joyful than the coming of King Jesus? There's another word in the opening line of of that song, though, that I think just to hit on for a second. And so note takers, here you go. The first Christmas was... Not only brought joy, but it was for the world. If you look back at Luke 1 with me, we'll see the words of the messenger. You're probably getting tired of me reading these verses, but this will be the last time, I think. Here we go. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Notice the first part that the children of Israel will turn to the Lord their God. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God gave mankind the task of worshiping Him and being in His presence. That was what was offered to mankind, offered to Adam and Eve from the very beginning. And how did we do? A head shake is fine. A head shake is fine. Not good. Not good. We sinned. We sinned, and so the worship was affected, and being in the presence was impossible. So, that gets so out of hand. The sin in the world gets so out of hand that God starts all over. And He sends a flood. We see that in Genesis 4 through 6. We see a flood. God sends a flood, and He starts all over in a new garden, in a new Eden, with a new family, Noah and his family. These will be the ones. Surely God calls them, worship me, be in my presence, love me. And then uh, they messed it up too. Our senior adults are going to the ark uh, this week. So pray for them. A little plug there. Not the real ark, the the one they made. We didn't discover it, sorry. Um, But so this family, even this family. So Adam and Eve butchered it. We started all over. Now Noah's family has butchered it. And then in Genesis 12. God begins a relationship with a new man, a new human. And his name is Abram. God later renames him Abraham. And it's from this man that God brings forth 
what would be in its heyday, the nation of Israel. It's this family that stays at the center of the stage through the rest of the biblical story. They are called God's chosen people. But there are plenty of times that they don't follow God like they should, and these prophets have to rise up in an effort to lead them back to God. So John's message, the angel says that many of the children of Israel, the the family of Abraham, they're going to turn to the Lord their God. And so John's main message was to the family of Israel, the Israelites. He was, he, he, was, he was calling them to repent and to worship God the way that they should. But there's clearly more going on than that. When the angel says that John is preparing a people, I will argue from the text that God was giving a glimpse of a greater mission, a worldwide effort that was actually ancient all the way back to Abraham, but would soon be taking off. To understand this part of the story, I have to do a quick crash course in Old Testament storylines, which I've already done, so I'm not going to ask you if I can because I've already done part of it. But here's the deal. After we get to Abraham, we got you up to Abraham, okay? So God calls Abraham to leave his family, everything he's known. Leave your father's house, leave your father's land, and go where I lead you. He didn't tell him where. He just said, go, and I'll tell you where to go. So Abram does. And in return, God promises him three things. He promises him a big family. He promises him land. And he promises him that his, his family will be a blessing to all the nations. Here's what you need to know. Throughout the rest of the storyline, God carries out those promises. By the time Abram's great-great-grandkids come on the scene, there's a bunch of them. God has transformed this old childless man into a traveling group of about 70 people. At the next major moment in their history, in the book of Exodus, as, as Moses is leading God's people, the Bible says they've grown tremendously. And depending on a translation of a tiny little Hebrew word, it's at least 10,000, even hundreds of thousands, or even 1.5 to 2 million. I know that's a big gap. It doesn't matter, though. The point is that God continued to expand them into a big family. God was keeping his promise to Abraham. This, the, this family has now grown into a nation. And the promise of land that God made is fulfilled in the following generation. Moses, as already said, passed the torch to Joshua, who leads God's people to possess the land that would later become known as the nation of Israel, the land mass of Israel. And you see, as you read the Old Testament text, you see these two things playing in the thing. There's tons of talk about babies. Okay? Like in the Old Testament, this woman had lots of babies. And the way that they viewed that was that that was a blessing from God. That was God keeping his promise to Abraham. That I'm going to make you into a big family. And guess what they viewed women who couldn't have children, who were barren? They viewed it as a curse from God. They viewed it that God, this was, for some reason, I mean, they, they ran away with it and, and carried it down a path it was never designed to. But that, it, that's, how, that's how this is implanted in their mind. That if you can't have children, then it must be a curse from God. And then when God opened up one of these wombs of a lady who was barren, it was a big deal and it was viewed. This is a fulfillment of the promise. This is a big deal. And it's talked about over and over again. And then you get to the land. Once the nation is set up, they have an army and, and, and anybody that tries to come into the land, they shut it down. 
And why? Because they want to protect the promise. They want to protect the land. So it's all about baby. It's all about the family and it's all about land. And as you read through the Old Testament text, what you see is there's so much focus on these two things that it seems as if those in the story forget that there was a third part of the promise. God had not only promised land and a big family, but also that they would be a what? A blessing to the nations. God's people don't seem to think of this one quite as often, but we catch little glimpses of it. Let me go all the way back to Abraham again. Abraham, the first encounter Abraham really has with with the nations is is with with a man named Melchizedek. He was a priest. We have no idea a whole lot of what Melchizedek did because this was pre-Israel. We don't know what he worshipped, who he worshipped, or what he did. But what we know is that Abraham tithed to this man who he believed was worshipping his one true God. And he became a blessing through his finances. The first moment that we see God's people, Abraham's family, helping the nations. From there it goes to Abraham's great-great-grandson, Joseph, who, because of the dirtbagginess of his brothers, winds up in Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he climbs the ranks to become a pretty important guy. And then a famine strikes the land. Not just in Egypt, but the surrounding land in the nations. And Egypt becomes the place, as the big empire, Egypt becomes the place where everybody comes for food. And guess who's put in charge? A son of Abraham, Joseph. Joseph gets to be a blessing to the nations. Later on, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem and Israel and they, they leave it in ruins and they carry young men back back to Babylon. Daniel was one of those and other young men. And they get involved in Babylon and they become a blessing to even the terrible King Nebuchadnezzar. They become a blessing to him. You see, God never intended for his people to cease being a special blessing a special international blessing. That was the plan from the very start. It was God's people who had turned it inward. The people of God that were being prepared for Christ, even in John's ministry, and definitely through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, were not Israelites only. The people Christ was laying his life down were not from one region or one nationality. It was for the world. And I'm thankful as a non-Jew that I was in those people. I was in that people. I am thankful that, that God has always had his eye on the nations. That yes, God did choose one people, that it was, but it was that those people would then be blessing to the nations and draw all the nations in to worship their God. All of humanity are his creation, not just one particular family. I was reading a, 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 if it was an article or a sermon this week, and the guy, the guy was talking about joy to the world, a uh, pastor in Atlanta. And Isaac Watts is the one that penned the joy of the world. And this is what he said. That was just a good statement to read. Watts was right when he titled his carol, Joy to the World. For Christmas is not just joy to America. It's not a national joy. It's not joy to the Caucasian because it's not a racial joy. It's not joy to the West. It's not a cultural joy. It's not joy to the rich because it's not a financial joy. It's not joy to the educated because it's not an intellectual joy. It's not joy for the happy because it's not an emotional joy. It's not joy to the healthy because it's not a physical joy. It is joy to the world 
because it's a universal joy. Let me ask you two questions this Christmas. Question number one, where in the world is our joy? If you're stressed out by shopping, presents, cooking, elves, decorating, crafting, to the point that there is no joy, let me share with you two things. One that's from common sense and one that's from Scripture. (laughs) Here's the common sense one. Get rid of some of the stress in your life. Buy less. Folks will be all right. They'll be okay without extra socks this year. They'll make it one more year. Cook less. Y'all know KFC will be open on Christmas Eve, I think, this year. Maybe even part of a day on Christmas Day. They were. I wish they'd shut down too, but they don't for you. <laughs> Turn the oven off. Cook less. Elf less. <laughs> Decorate less. Craft less. Whatever it is, cut the things in your life that need to get out to remove some stress. That's common sense. Let me share scripture with you. Remind yourself that the joy that we can experience during Christmas has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with whether 2021 was a good year or a bad year. The joy we feel at Christmas is because the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. When everything else around seems chaotic, scary, or uneasy, We can know that there is salvation for us who are in Christ. And that's worth at least a little rejoicing. Amen. Question number two. Are you sharing this joy with others? As we've said, this joy is not for you. You're not the end result of this joy. From the very beginning of the declaration of joy, it was and has been for all people. Jesus is the special blessing to all nations that would come from Father Abraham. And that nations includes the furthest reaches of the globe and your neighbors and coworkers. And so my question is, are you joyful this Christmas? Great. But share it because you've got neighbors that aren't. Because without the joy of Christ, I haven't had a great year. Can I be straight with you? Some of you haven't. You've had, got bad health results. You've got, you've got broken family relationships. Junk's happened in 2021. If nothing else, we got all this, whatever, you know, everything else going on. Let's turn on the TV, okay? There's stuff going on that's enough to make this old boy think 2021 was a bust. But in Christ, I have joy. But my neighbor's... The people that we're we're running into, they're going through the same things we are, but without the joy in Christ. And so they need to hear this. They need to know that Christ died on the cross for their sins. As we shared, as we we got to counsel with every single person that come through at Christmas house, you know what I was blown away with? Everybody that we talked to was going through the same stuff you and I are. (laughs) Some of them had health stuff. Some of them had, several of them had family members, multiple family members who have passed away in the last year. 
Like, just tell me, this is heavy stuff. If you were a counselor, you can testify. It was heavy. But it wasn't stuff that we aren't going through, too. The difference is that some of them, not all, a lot of them had trusted in Christ, but some of them hadn't. And that was the difference. Is that there is no joy for them because the heaviness of all that's going on is not offset by their salvation in Christ. And that's why we shared with them and that's why we need to share with those around us. We need to begin a joyful streak in the people around us. And so if you're struggling to be joyful, that's why we do one more song at the end of the service. It's not just so that we can sing again. I mean, I think we have a talented team. I love them, but like, that's not why we do it, so you can listen to them one more time. The reason we do one more song is to give you an opportunity to wrestle with God. So if you're struggling with being joyful, talk to God about it. You think you don't know? Y'all come up in here where you smiles on your face and you fool me, but you ain't fooling God. Y'all know the fake uh, Christmas picture smile that you that you get from kids? That's what some of y'all come in with. That's good. It's all good, Pastor. But God knows, so just talk to him about it. Tell him what's going on. I'll be down front. I always stand down front or right here on the front row. We have decision counselors by the back door that love to talk with you too. Just tell us what's going on. Let us pray for you. But if you're joyful, if you're joyful, praise God for that first. But also be reminded that it's not supposed to end with you. And so there's a repentance that needs to happen. Because to keep joy to ourselves when those around us are joyless is selfishness. It's selfishness. So we need to repent of that selfishness and we need to trust in Jesus and share that trust with others. Today, we need to repent. Whether it's at this altar or right where you are, we need to pray. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, what you need to know is that you were in those nations too. Like the the blessing to all nations that Christ brought you're part of that. And today you can find joy in Christ. Your sin that separates you from, you need to know that. Your sin separates you from God. Nothing you can do to get across it. Creates a gap between you and God. It can't be swam across, jumped across, swung across on a vine. Your sin separates you from God totally. But in Christ, God made a way for you to be made right. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you were supposed to die. And he did it all so that you could be right with God. I have joy this Christmas in the light of not a great year because of that. But today, if you've never trusted in Him, you can repent of your sin, which means to turn from the junk in your life, recognizing that you're on a bad path and in need of Him, and begin to walk towards God. The Bible also says to repent, to turn, but also to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ paid the debt for your sin that you couldn't pay, and that He was raised up on the third day so that you can have life. Today, if you've never trusted in Him, just come talk to me. I'd love to share it with you. We'll have decision counselors by the back door again that love to share that with you and help you find the joy this Christmas that we all get to experience. I'm going to say a word of prayer. After I pray, I'm going to say amen. We're going to stand. They're going to come in to sing. You can sing as your form of worship today, as your response to the message. You can talk to decision counselors about anything going on. Talk to me. Come to this altar. Lift up prayers for yourself or other people. Whatever the case, that's what we're here for. Make sure that before we leave this place, we've dealt with God on whatever was talked about today. Okay, Whatever God spoke to you, deal with it, and then we can all go eat lunch. But let's deal with it first, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And God, we thank you that, uh, that in Christ, we get to experience joy. And uh, God, we can, uh, 
we can uh, we can know you, God. We can uh, we can experience a life, God, that's that's unique and special. Because God, even in the midst of all the junk going on, God, we get to smile. We get to not only just not smile and fake it, but smile it and mean it. Because in Christ, we have joy. We we have this inexpressible uh, thing that goes on in our hearts and our minds that allows us to get through all that. And God, I thank you that I thank you for this uh, this church family, God, that that's full of people who, who who found that joy. God, I pray for anybody who's here, God, anybody who's listening online a year from now, God, whatever that, that that's never made that decision, God, to, to to turn from their sin, to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and experience that joy. God, I pray that they would tonight. God, use us as your people share this joy with others. Help us to deal with you on the things in our heart. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Guys, y'all can respond.